This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Friday, March 10th. Here's the weather forecast for today. Winter weather travel advisory is in effect for the GTA. We're expecting snow starting around the lunch hour and tapering off later this evening. Four to eight centimeters accumulation. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, one last gasp of winter could complicate the commute home. Number two, the Peel region prepares for a tense day in multiple high schools. Number three, air miles reportedly going into bankruptcy protection. Number four, Joe Biden announcing his dates for a Canadian visit. And number five, the Blue Jays fans have been voted the fifth most annoying fans in baseball. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Hey, look at that. We made it to Friday. How are you feeling so far? It's a sweet, sweet Friday! Thank you very much, Nick Marano. I do believe it is a sweet, sweet Friday. I see nothing in our briefs this morning to discourage that declaration. I mean, there is some snow coming, but I think this is going to be something we can weather fairly easily. We're going to talk a little later on with our favorite meteorologist, Bill Coulter from CP24, to get a feel for what is expected. But I think this is going to be just uh, how many times can we rinse and repeat the same storm systems where roughly arrives in time to perturb the afternoon drive home and then by the morning hours, it's all a distant memory. And of course, Given the time of year that we're in, yes, as Ashley was just saying in the weather forecast, the temperature is going to hover around the freezing mark for the weekend. So whatever comes down will stay down for a a brief time. But again, this time of year, when you get a snowstorm, it sort of it it becomes easy to forget. So um, the system, as we are told, is probably going to start around the lunch hour, move through the afternoon. And we're looking for four to eight centimeters. So I think we're all going to be fine. Nobody's pressing the panic button. It's just that the afternoon drive home is probably going to be a little bit more complicated than it might be under any other circumstances. Something else to factor into the weekend, incidentally, would be that we are adjusting the clocks Saturday into Sunday. And this is the adjustment that is harder to deal with, in my experience anyway. Because we're going to lose an hour rather than, I mean, when you gain an hour, it's a little disorienting. When you lose an hour, it's uh, annoying, to say the least. Uh, but it's also, you know, like I'm traveling this weekend. And what's funny is back in the day, you would have to think, okay, wait a second. I got a flight back to Toronto on Sunday morning, so I got to adjust. Now, I mean, your cell phone adjusts its clock automatically and you wake up and there you go. You got your time and you just keep on moving. And if I may be self-indulgent for a moment, I am so beside myself excited about going to Montreal this weekend because I'm catching up with some really good friends. I actually have a friend who lives in Montreal who I see probably once a month either because he's in Toronto on business, I'm in Montreal on a visit, or we meet up on the road because he's on business and I decide to go along for the ride. And what's hilarious is I see him way more than I see most of my friends who actually live in Toronto. 
So we're having dinner tonight. Uh, we're having dinner with my um, my longtime TV producer, Michel St. Cyr, who I'm always excited to see because he just loves to have a good time. I always remember um, back when we were producing shows together much more frequently than we do now, uh, he once said, if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. And I think that's the way everybody should do business. And then I'm very, very excited as well. The whole reason for the trip is because a very old friend of mine has written a play and it's on at the Centaur, which is the main theater in Montreal. And a guy I acted in my first theater production when I was 17 years old is the star. So that's my whole weekend. All excited about that. Uh, but listen, let's start uh, digging into some of the more important news stories of the day. One of them would be, I've sort of lost the thread, I have to confess, and maybe Joe Christiano, you can create a, a definitive brief on this. Um, I don't know how many threats there have been against high schools in Peel Ridge anymore, but we do know that two teenagers have been arrested in connection with online threats that were made to high schools, but Here's the problem. It doesn't seem that they are the people who started this. It seems that they are copycats who just happened to be caught. Because we had five schools that had threats against them, and now we're up to seven. So a 16-year-old girl, 14-year-old boy have been arrested in connection to online threats made to two high schools in the Peel region. But these are schools that we were not previously mentioning. Uh, Lincoln Alexander Secondary School in Mississauga um, had a threat. Uh, Chinkuzi, actually, we had mentioned previously, had had threats earlier in the week. But the threats were relevant to today. So I can only imagine how, you know, fraught and frayed at a situation we have in high schools in Peel Region today. And I'd imagine a lot of parents are just going to screw it. You know, it's Friday. Um, you're not going to school today. And it, this is entirely um, unnecessary because I would suspect, you know, if I could be fearless for a moment, um, I would suspect there is no veracity to these threats against these schools. This is entirely mischief making. And frankly, I'm, you know, I'm wondering, maybe we can find this out, you know, when you're 16 and 14 and you made stupid threats and basically you're engaging in mischief and the police bust you on it, do you spend the night in jail? Do they just come to your house and give you a summary, uh, you know, notification about <laughs> you're in trouble? Um, what are their parents doing about this? And, you know, I hope that they are seized with regret and remorse, but who knows? These days, it's kind of hard to say. You know, I never want to be one of those people who imagines a trend where no trend actually exists. But over the last six months, the number of serious incidents that are attributed to teenagers is somewhat distressing. You know, when you got a bunch of girls, 13 to 16 years old, who were accused of swarming around a guy in downtown Toronto and killing him. Um, when you have, you know, affairs like this and threats that were made, and then there have been carjackings, there's been just this whole host of criminal behavior involving teenagers. And I know some people would like to see a pattern in it. I'm not sure there necessarily is. And certainly the whole idea that, well, you know, 
drug dealers will get kids to do things for them because they won't face serious um, jail time. I'm not convinced that that necessarily is the case. Let's say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, happy Friday. Hope you're well. Uh, let's get into it today. It looks like two teenagers have been arrested after more threats. New ones have been made to additional schools in Peel, but one of these schools, this will be the second time that they've received a threat of a shooting. This is going to be a difficult Friday, I think, for a lot of parents, for a lot of school workers, and for a lot of students. I'd imagine some parents will just keep their kids home. All of this may be completely empty threats, but you're right. Two teenagers have been arrested in connection to online threats that were made to Peel High Schools. A 16-year-old and a 14-year-old have been busted in this. But it also seems that these two who were busted may actually be copycat mm. uh, people making threats and that the people who made the original threats are still at large and unidentified. Mm, okay, very troubling indeed. Uh, turning to this now, the weather. Uh, we're still kind of trying to thaw away from that last dumping of snow, but it looks like more is on the way and that could make for a messy afternoon, especially since this is the kind of the beginning of March break for so many people. You're absolutely right, and I'll let Bill do all the heavy lifting on this story, but uh, Toronto is certainly talking about the fact that the afternoon drive home could be perturbed by snow. This is not a huge dump of snow necessarily. We're looking at apparently about four to eight centimeters. Uh, however, the timing of it is uh, quite relevant because it's probably going to start around the lunch hour and continue through the afternoon into the evening. It'll be short-lived. I'm sure by Monday this will be a distant memory, but this afternoon it's something to pay attention to. Absolutely. All right, turning to this, it looks like the parent company of Canadian Air Miles, uh, Loyalty Ventures, they plan on filing for bankruptcy, according to some insiders. This is a story we're working on today because most of our information is actually coming from French media in Quebec. But the uh, assertion is that Air Miles is entering into bankruptcy protection for those who use the program. And I imagine an awful lot of people listening to us right now and watching us right now are in the program. It's a rewards program that stems from, uh, you know, pretty well any kind of uh, uh, retail purchase. And the worst thing that can possibly happen, Jennifer, of course, is if you have a currency and air miles is a currency mm -hmm. and people say that you may actually be going out of style then there's going to be run on it so this is very dangerous stuff oh yeah absolutely uh, people want to be paying close attention to that and it only took two mm -hmm. two or so years john but it looks like u.s president joe biden yeah. is finally coming to canada since he was made president in 2021 as Sally Field once said, he loves us, he really loves us. You're absolutely right. I mean, he's sworn in in 2021, and he's finally... Usually a U.S. president's first trip is to mm. Canada, but he is going to be coming uh, March 23rd and 24th to Ottawa. A lot of issues to talk about, including um, the fact that there are all kinds of migrants making their way across the border into Canada and then crossing the border back into the U.S. I imagine that's going to be one of the chief items for Justin Trudeau. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, a U.S. presidential visit and an address to Parliament is always going to be compelling. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, this, we always end with something interesting, some food for thought. Uh Supposedly, Jays fans have been voted the fifth least annoying, which begs the question, who's the first, second, third, and fourth? <laughs> 
Okay, well, I can tell you the most annoying fans, perhaps not surprisingly, are New York Yankees fans. Uh, uh, this was ranked according to people who get into fights at games, uh, poor sportsmanship, uh, bandwagon jumping, which is something I'm guilty of when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays and <laughs> any other kinds of annoying fan behaviors. But yes, I'm not sure what to make of this, to be honest. I mean, to be the fifth most annoying is, you know, I, I, I guess almost an asset. Yeah, I don't know if that's like kind of an insult or we should be proud because we're up there with New York now and it's like, yay, we're cool. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, News Talk 1010's John Moore. Have a great show and a great weekend, John. We'll chat with you next week. You Take too. care. Jennifer Sheng over at uh, CP24 with Bill Coulter, as usual, chirping in the background. And uh, Joe Cristiano, we are going to talk with Bill at some point this morning just to get a fix on the weather. The request has been made. All right. Well, he always delivers. So, And now he's already on my cell phone saying he wants to go to a Blue Jays game, which I'm totally on board with. As a matter of fact, I'd love to take the whole crew. Um, what was it, 2020? <sighs> Everything is such a distant, gray, ugly memory when it comes to COVID. But the, the year that COVID first gripped us, I had bought tickets for the entire team on the morning show to take them to the opening day. And then opening day was called off. And I realized, you know, I, I probably should have been more attentive about this. I never managed to cash that in and now it's gone. So I think it was like 350 bucks. And there was one point where they, like, they kept on saying, oh, well, you leave this money with us and you can come to a game eventually. And then they got to the point where there was a possible refund, but it was somewhat an impenetrable process to get that refund. So I never ended up getting it. But I am willing to forgive that. And, and then we can make the Blue Jays fans the sixth most annoying. <laughs> I know. Okay, so, I mean, this does not come as a surprise to you as a former New Yorker, Joe Cristiano, that the New York Yankees fans are the worst? I mean... The most annoying? People hate the Yankees, so of course they're going to rate the Yankees fans as the worst. Yeah. I mean, they are the winningest, winningest franchise in history. And the fans will let you know that. They will. Um, I don't know how necessary. I mean, this is not the most reliable study. Let's just say that. Because I don't know how Blue Jays fans can necessarily be annoying. Um, and I guess it would be a sliding scale, right? Because you could say that uh, Maple Leafs fans are annoying just for their eternal hopefulness in in the face of inevitable defeat. Uh, Blue Jays fans, I'm not as convinced. And worth emphasizing, incidentally, I mean, we never want to press the panic button. We just want to give the information that allows you to basically run your day. But this snowfall is going to be very regionally specific. So while it's not that big a deal in the city of Toronto, it's probably going to be a bigger deal in St. Catharines, Grimsby, uh, Northern Niagara region. Uh, you folks are in line with uh, or in line for uh, 10 to 15 centimeters, maybe even as much as 20. And also visibility will be an issue at some points. So in the city of Toronto, Generally, it looks like we're going to have four to eight centimeters, which is something you just brush off the car in the morning and head off into your day on Saturday. Uh, but as mentioned, for areas like St. Catharines, Grimsby, Niagara region, uh, you folks are probably looking at a much more significant storm. Coming up in the next half hour, dig just a little deeper into Joe Biden's visit to Canada, which is 
Um, you know, I'm actually thinking of going to Ottawa in order to, you know, if I can weasel my way into the house to watch uh, President of the United States address the House of Commons, that would be uh, kind of cool. Um, yeah, I don't want to overstate the case, but finally, uh, you know, years after he was inaugurated, he's coming to Canada, which is supposed to be the first visit for the average American president. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Friday morning, zero degrees right now. And there is snow in the forecast. So just to recap things, it's probably going to be uh, significantly worse in the area as you move sort of Hamilton and southward. So east of Hamilton, southward, or west of Hamilton, I should say. I know a lot of Hamiltonians are like, what's wrong with you? Um, but there is snow coming today. And while it'll probably be a forgotten issue tomorrow morning, it could be a problem during the afternoon drive home. So there's a travel advisory uh, from the weather office, and you might just sort of want to you know, make your plans. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's always, I, I, I find it so interesting. I, we'll, we'll be inundated with texts when we talk about a winter storm. It's like, this is Canada. Snow is normal. It is. But when it's happening, it might affect you. So you might want to know when it's going to be happening. But if that's the case, why uh, is it possible that people still don't know how to drive in the snow? Oh, and incredibly possible. I mean, more so in the beginning of the winter. There's always that first storm where all of a sudden it's like, I have no idea how to drive my car in snow. Um, and then people kind of, you know, become adjusted to it. And then for me anyway, Nick, it's, it's more a matter of when is it happening and how much is there going to be? And this time of year, I get it. It's, you know, by five o'clock tomorrow afternoon, um, most of this snow is probably going to be gone, but it's coming down today and it's going to be a visibility issue and a slippery issue. And so, you know, our traffic desk will continue to update the situation. Let's just say that. Um, interesting report, and uh, there's at least one city councilor is requesting a special meeting with Toronto's fire chief about this report. Uh, but Toronto Fire Services takes longer to respond to emergency calls in disadvantaged areas of the city compared to other neighborhoods. And there may be a lot of aspects to this that could be explained. I'd love to hear from Matthew Pegg, the uh, fire chief, because, for example, in a disadvantaged neighborhood, in challenged neighborhoods, it's much more likely you live in an apartment building. So, you know, responding to a 14th floor kitchen fire in an apartment building in a densely populated neighborhood is often, I would imagine, going to take more time than responding to a single family home on Bathurst Street. But according to the data, on average, the department met its target for a key metric called total response time in 70% of incidents in the city's um, challenged neighborhoods. For neighborhoods not identified as disadvantaged, the department met its target 80% of the time. The National Fire Protection Association benchmark is 90%. These are all metrics that most, let's face it, um, most of us have no freaking idea what this actually means, but, you know, the baseline is that apparently 
the response time is slower in neighborhoods that are not as wealthy. And that is definitely something worthy of attention. Uh, speaking of first responders, there was a call out yesterday for basically a measure of whether or not, and this is a question we asked earlier on this week, I think to a city councilor and to the guy who's heading up the TTC commission, um, but have things become measurably safer on the TTC since we increased the number of police officers and hired a bunch of independent um, security guards. And uh, Toronto police have been patrolling parts of the city's transit system in increased numbers, says this report, for more than a month. But critics say there's little information on the effectiveness of the move, and it's unclear how long the costly measure will continue. It's basically costing about $1.5 million a month. Now, when we had the police chief here in our studio, he said that they were able to staff this initiative by drawing on money they already had. So they weren't going to have to go back to City Hall and ask for more money. Uh, however, uh, it's quite clear that the hiring of private security guards is an added expense for the city. And as mentioned, at, to date, there is no hard evidence that this is necessarily having an impact. Mind you, uh, data from the TTC shows customer offenses went down for the month of January compared to the month of December. So there were 145 incidents in December, 116 incidents in January. That actually works out to five incidents a day. And then again, you know, you have to define those, right? I mean, somebody jostling you on the platform is not quite the same as somebody stabbing you in the neck with a, a you know, smashed beer bottle, which is actually something that happened in the month of December. So we talked about the weather forecast. Okay. So we're, we're good there. I'm just going through, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, prioritize things here. Actually yesterday, Vashi Capellos talked with uh, outgoing MP Mark Garneau. And it was an interesting conversation because I mean, he's a pretty interesting guy. Uh, anybody who's been to outer space, I find to be particularly compelling. Aside from our, you know, one of our governor generals, who was um, a handful, to say the least. Uh, but Mark Garneau talked about making the decision to step aside as an MP. And he says, you know what? It's because there's only so much time left. You know, I was filled with all sorts of emotions yesterday. Uh, you know, part of me uh, leaving this incredible job, because I really did enjoy it, seven years in opposition, seven years in government. Uh, but at the same time, the feeling that, you know, I've, I've had a good career and that I need to spend more time with my family. That was very, very strong. And uh, yesterday was very moving for me because I didn't expect the, the outpouring of, of, of positive things uh, that people said about me. And Vashi also asked Mark Garneau if he had any advice for people not in politics who might be thinking of getting into politics. And intriguingly, he said, you know what? You've got to be ready to lose. I think that it's important to encourage people who want to step forward and go into public life uh, as, uh, as members of parliaments, to encourage them and to tell them, you know, don't be afraid 
of going in because you think you might lose. Uh, anything that you do uh, in trying to become uh, a member of parliament I think is a noble undertaking and I think it takes courage but we need people like you and so I was trying to send that message to people who might be sitting on the fence. And of course the unanswered question when it comes to Mark Garneau deciding to leave is if this is some you know part of a pattern because quite frequently when a government is getting kind of sad sack and tired and out of just out of the energy that it needs to, or, or the enthusiasm it needs, people start saying, you know what, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm not running in the next election. And in the case of Mark Garneau, I mean, the next election, it's a minority government, but the NDP says it's going to backstop it for two more years. So presumably he could have continued to be in government. So is his departure a very personal thing or is it part of a shared um, attitude amongst other MPs where it's like, oh man, I don't want to run and lose. You know what? I'm, I'm out of here. So today is trying to find my words to, to frame it. Cause I, I don't want to, nobody wants to engender a level of panic when it comes to what parents and kids and staffers are feeling about some high schools in Peel region, but owing to these threats that have been made, apparently by multiple individuals, including copycats, a lot of people are edgy about school today. And a lot of parents are actually opting just not to send their kids to school at all. So that is the story we're going to be covering through the day. And I'm sure that one of our CP24 colleagues has been tasked to report directly on the situation. But yeah, as I said, in terms of framing it, it's probably a completely empty threat and a series of empty threats by wretched children who I hope will be punished, but that doesn't make it any easier for parents to load their kids into the car or put them on the school bus today and take them to school. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. And yeah, that Blue Jays story... It's, it's almost like a double negative. Blue Jays fans are the fifth least annoying. But still, apparently, we are somewhat annoying when it comes to uh, fandom. The most annoying franchise fans are Yankees fans, perhaps not surprising. Kind of like, you know, Montreal Canadiens fans, I guess, because Blue Jays, are the, the Yankees are the most winning sports franchise in sports history. The Montreal Canadiens are number two. And uh, a lot of people will easily point out the fact that the Montreal Canadiens haven't won the Stanley Cup since, I'm going to have to Google it, I think it's 1996, I was at the riot. Um, but still, it's better than 1967, isn't it? Okay, enough. Um, I always remember one of my... One of my friends said, just don't, don't tease Maple Leafs fans. It hurts too much. So yesterday in Ottawa, there was a bit of a contretemps. And it happened in the sort of shadow of International Women's Day. But the allegation was that a conservative MP, Michael Cooper was more or less saying that a woman was not up to the job of being the foreign minister. He insists that he would have said the same thing to a man. Um, but he got into a spat with Melanie Jolie, who's the foreign affairs minister, 
and said, you're not tough enough with China. You've talked tough. Uh, you've talked tough with your uh, Beijing counterparts. So you say uh, you even stared into his eyes. I'm sure he was very intimidated. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, sometimes I think we leap to conclusions that something is based on racism, homophobia, sexism. But at the same time, any woman in business, any woman in politics will tell you that routinely people will insi you're not, insist you're not tough enough. Or if you get animated in a meeting, you're an hysteric. So I get that Melanie Jolie was not amused by this line of attack. So I want to comment on your question and particularly the beginning, because I think it's actually... I'm going to pause time. I'm pausing time. I'm pausing time. <laughs> okay, I'm pausing time. I sort of like Toronto City Council meeting. Stop talking. Oh, honestly, I don't know if you've ever been to a Toronto City Council meeting, Nick. I think they've made an adjustment on this one thing that used to drive me crazy on those rare occasions I would go to council where, I mean, back in the day where there were 47 city councillors, they, every single one of them felt that they had to weigh in on a measure. And not only that, but they could never do it in time. So then they would ask for permission to continue to talk. And that would go to a vote, which actually required the sounding of the gong that summons people to vote, even if everybody was in the room. And then they would wait, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Then they would take the vote. Of course, they would give the person permission to continue to prattle on, and on and on it would go. And at the same time, I know that Doug Ford, you know, having spent four years as a city councilor at City Hall, Doug Ford always felt that the city council meetings went on too long. But the one thing that people have to understand is, unlike the House of Commons in Queen's Park, City Council doesn't meet every day. City Council meets like three days every six weeks or whatever it is. I'm sure, you know, uh, one of the city councilors is listening right now and you can text me. Um, but they, they meet for a series of days. They get the business done. It is interminable and annoying and vexatious, but it's not the incredible procedural uh juggernaut that Doug Ford claimed it was when he decided he was going to cut Toronto City Council in half. And I know we don't have to relitigate that issue, but I will, you know, to get my yayas out. The problem with cutting Toronto City Council in half was that now every councillor is responsible for twice as many people. And there is almost no way to get that business done. And it was interesting in talking to, I think it was John Burnside was telling me, that you get a budget for your office and you can spend it any way you want. So in his case, he actually decided to hire fewer people, but pay them more. But that's, that, that's how it works. Like imagine having a workplace where somebody says you have $200,000 to spend every year. Do you want five employees, two employees, eight employees, and then you have to sit down with these people and tell them why they're going to be underpaid if you want to actually provide better service. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.